0: Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy pivots to the book of Matthew with a sermon titled, How to Destroy Hopelessness. In the midst of the Christmas story, facing controversy and uncertainty, Joseph grabbed onto hope. Look at the impact of this hope. Jesus learned from his stepdad to love others even when it cost you. When Jesus faced his own death, the most hopeless and fearful of all situations anyone can face, Jesus took a page out of his adopted father's playbook. Jesus submitted himself to God's plan, one with lots of pain involved, even if he couldn't see the other side of God's good promises. So Jesus chose to die, chose to stay on the cross, chose to suffer its scorn and shame because on the other side of his death was the hope of resurrection, a resurrection he
1: could not see. So did you weigh in before Thanksgiving? Did you weigh out? Because baby, I succeeded. I went up. Yes. That's the goal. Good morning, friends. Thank you. To, thank you, Zed and the worship team. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Uh, if you are, are new or visiting with us, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about our church. And for those of you who've been here before or you've watched online, you've heard this a hundred times, um, stay with me. Stay with me this morning. We believe in three things. Number one... Read it with me. There is hope beyond our brokenness. This is the story that we're going to be talking about today, that in the hot mess of Jesus' redneck family tree, there's your hope. There's your hope there, right? God works in and through broken people. We need to remember this. And you saw that last week at Thanksgiving, right? (laughs) Right? hot messes that were around your table, right, uh, including you. And, and there's always hope. God never gives up on you, ever, ever, ever. Second, we're called to trust in our risen Savior, and He's worthy of our trust. He is here. We invite Him here. We sing, we sing oh, come all you faithful, and you've gathered, and then we sing glory to God in the highest because He brings His hope and His love and His peace right here. And he's present in our midst. So good. So good to be here with him, together with you. And what do we get to do? We get to bring restoration. A couple weekends ago, we had 40-plus of you down in Guadalupe, and we were making sure that people in Guadalupe had food for, for the Thanksgiving. And this coming Friday, we're going to be celebrating kids with disabilities And they love colors, and that's the Rainbow Dance Party. And you've already given over $7,000 for a little boy in our church. Actually, he's not a little boy. He's a young man. He has Down syndrome, and he has uh, uh, encephalitis, a fever in his brain, and he needs money that the insurance company won't cover in order to get treatment so that he can get his creativity back and his joy back. And you're providing hope for his family. It's incredible what you're doing. It's incredible what this little church is doing. And now you've poured in money to a little metal bucket and Maggie's going to take it this week and, and you, you all, we all are going to be the answer to someone's prayer that was prayed at three o'clock this morning on their knees, crying, wondering, God, are you there? And his answer is yes, always. You and I get to bring restoration right where we're at We don't have to wait in order to complete seminary, right? Seminary is where Christians go to learn about Jesus and lose their faith. And uh, and so you don't have to do that, right? God loves you right now, right now. And I know some of you are rolling into this holiday season and things are going great and we rejoice with you. And some of you are rolling into this holiday season and things couldn't be worse, And we're with you, and we love you. So each day, we make a choice to love Jesus, and to choose him, and to follow him, and to listen to him. Can we make that choice once again, but together as the body of Christ? Can we do that? Let's proclaim this together. We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first, and I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. So can I encourage you this morning, um, when you hear something that you know is true, when you hear something in, in God's word today and in the sermon today that you know, oh my gosh, that, I believed that lie and I need to say that truth, will you choose this morning to do that work right here and now? To just say in your heart, Jesus, I believe this. Jesus, I choose you. Jesus, I reject that lie. Do the work now. Don't delay. Will you do that now? And can I have permission to speak to your heart of hearts? Would that be okay? Yes. I love it that some of you didn't answer. (laughs) That's fair. It really is. It's okay. Uh, Trust is built over time. But if you find something that is said today as the gospel is proclaimed that just lands home, my prayer for you and my invitation for you is to, to do that prayer work right now. Don't, don't wait. That's what it means to, I choose to be changed by Jesus. You do it now. So can I pray? Would that be okay? Lord Jesus, we love you. We are so grateful for you. We invite your spirit here, Lord Jesus. We bind up everything opposed to you, Lord Jesus. that would be seeking to bother us or interrupt or disrupt the plans that you have for us, Jesus. Now in Jesus' name, we cast the enemy out of this place. Now by the blood of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we welcome you here. Come have your way, Holy Spirit. We surrender our hearts to you, Jesus. We trust you. And for those this morning that None of what I've just prayed resonates at all. They don't even know if you're real, Jesus. They don't, even, they don't even know if they believe. After all these years of thinking they did, God, today, reveal yourself to them. And thank you that they're here today, even if their family dragged them against their will here. Lord, bless them. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. What is hope? The dictionary definition says this, hope is, and first of all, it's a noun, but it's a desire for a certain thing to happen. And it gives a couple of examples, like a person that may help or save, or the grounds to believe that a good thing will happen. So hope can be kind of two things, right? It's, it's, a, it's your desire that good things would happen in your future, but there's two evidences that you could base that on that somebody would come and help you or save you, or that you see things going well in your life. That's the grounds for hope to be there. Does that make sense? I like how my friend uh, describes hope. She says, because of Jesus, you believe that no matter how bad or good your situation is, that things would always get a little better, even if it takes a long time. It's almost like a silver lining. That's hope. Uh, a man approached a Little League baseball game one afternoon. He asked the boy in a dickout, dugout what the score was. The kid responded 18 to nothing. We're behind. <laughs> the guy's like, dang, man, that's, that's hopeless. And the little boy said, why should we be hopeless? It's not hopeless. We haven't even gotten up to bat yet. <laughs> like, right, I, I just love this little kid. He's like, I, I could be the one who could bring hope to my, fan, to, to my team, right? Or like the grounds for hope of something good happening is that I haven't even had a chance to score a run, right? You know, that's hope. I love that. The Bible, when you read the Bible and you talk about hope, the Bible always links hope to God's activity, not our own. That's super important. We're going to read this. This is today's story in the book of uh, Matthew when it talks about the genealogy and the, and the arrival of Jesus. And we're going to be talking about Joseph's story today and about how, in his view, the, his situation is hopeless. But in God's view, oh, there's, it, hope is coming. Hope has arrived. And that's because God's providing the hope, not Joseph. Does that make sense? The Bible, I love the Bible. The Bible is incredibly honest about how life is like just, it's going to wreck you sometimes. Like sometimes life just backs up onto your plate and then dumps hopelessness right onto it, right? I mean, you know, has anybody's free will ever messed you up, right? <laughs> Everybody should be raising their hands. Like that's, like, that's the story of the Bible, right? Um, and sometimes... Sometimes we cry out to God, Lord, help, and, and, and he's like, well, that's their choice to wreck you, right? Sometimes there isn't someone to intervene or someone to come save us. We just, we suffer when they don't take out the trash again, <laughs> right? And you got to do it. That's small potato suffering. Then there's big time suffering. People really wound you. And it's honest. The Bible's honest, like, you know. Sin is death, and death stinks. And that's why I love my friend's definition of hope, because because of Jesus. No matter how good or bad things are, with Jesus intervening in your life, working in your life, things are going to get a little better, a little better, a little better, a little better, even if that takes a long time. Even if that takes a long time. So, in today's gospel a reading, this is Matthew chapter 1, and this is so exciting, the genealogy of Jesus, right? This is the squirrel, right? Those are those passages, right? And I just, I just love, like, like Jesus' genealogy, like, his family tree is, like, so redneck, it's not even funny, <laughs> It's so great. These are people you would not want showing up on Thanksgiving Day, okay, at all, right? Harlots, drunkards, horrible leaders, scandal-plagued, faithless, they're jerks. And this is his family. You ready? You ready for this? I love this. Read this with me. Matthew 1, chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of... Oh, yeah, great king, right? Sure. Has an affair. Kills the guy whose wife he wanted. Their child dies. He says, let's have another baby, and then I'll marry 19 other people. This is David. What a gem. (laughs) The son of Abraham. Verse 2. Abraham... Ah, we'll just stop there. (laughs) Remember Abraham, sheep herder from Iraq, right? God says, go to this new country. He says, okay. His wife, smoking hot. Gorgeous. Married up. No sheep herder has ever had a more beautiful wife than Abraham's wife. Absolutely great, right? Sells her twice (laughs) in Egypt, right? Once to Pharaoh, right? Because Pharaoh's like, and he's like, Do you want her? <laughs> right? Pharaoh's like, mm-hmm. Right? Then Pharaoh gets boils all over his body. He's like, take her back. Right? He does it again a second time. Abraham and Sarah, they have they have a son, and his name is Isaac. The only one boy that they had. Of course, Abraham before, impatient, cannot wait for God's promises. He says, hey, what's your um, friend Hagar doing tonight, right? Has a child with Hagar. That's Ishmael, right? When Isaac comes along, what does Abraham do? You can't prove. There's no paternity test that Ishmael's mind. He literally pushes them out into the wilderness so that they would starve to death and die. That's Abraham, the father of the faith. Wow, what a guy. From that horrible mistake of favoring one child over the other, of, of, of not loving his family, of, of saying, you're unclean and you're clean, and Abraham it was so messed up, came his son Isaac. So he learned that from his dad. So he had two boys, right? One was Esau, right? Played for the Michigan Wolverines, right? What am I talking about? He played for the Washington Huskies. Yes, right? right, Guy was an all-American middle linebacker, like just hairy, muscular, mm, right? Flexed. It's great. Worked out all the time. Then there was Jacob, (laughs) (laughs) right? Literally, his name is heel grabber, deceiver, right? Isaac is like, oh, Esau, I love you. Jacob, whatever, you know? And so, what does Jacob do? Deceives his dad, gets his blessing, steals his brother's blessing. His brother wants to murder him. Jacob then will live in exile for many years. What does Jacob do? Sees this beautiful woman named Rachel. <gasps> Love of my life. Says to his, her dad, How much could I, uh, how, can I, his um, dad's like, work for me for seven years. Wedding night, slips in Leah, right? The, the sister that mm, no one was going to choose, right? This is the family tree. Jacob has twelve kids, favors one above the other. Joseph gives them a gives them a, a Louis Vuitton multicolored jacket with Yeezy shoes. Oh, he's out of style now with Adidas right uh, shoes. So gives 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 right. There was a whole musical about it. Right? Jesus Christ Superstar. About that one. You remember that one? Okay. Uh, so then, so that's, that's just what Jacob does. Judah, the worst of all the brothers. It was Judah's idea. I hate this kid. I hate our younger brother. Let's throw him into a pit, sell him for slavery. <gasps> that's Judah's idea. Judah, class act. You know what he does? You know what he does? His daughter-in-law. Tamar, right, ends up marrying his son, son dies. Marries his other son, son dies. Marries his other son, son dies. Judah's like, you know what? Get out of my life. Tamar's so desperate for money that she has to become a prostitute. You know what Judah does? Rolling down the street one day, doesn't recognize Tamar, sleeps with her as a prostitute. That's Judah, like, Jesus, you know, he's the lion of... Say, what? Yeah, he's from that tribe. That's Jesus', like, tribal great-great-great-great-grandfather. That, the family tree went straight there, no branches. You know what I'm saying? Bad. Added to this redneck hot mess is the start, is the start of how Jesus and God is going to change the whole world. So they're all there in Egypt. Of course, you know, you know Joseph's story. He's sold into slavery in, in Egypt, and then rises, becomes second in command, and then they flourish, the Jews flourish in Egypt, and then, and then 400 years later, Pharaoh's like, these people outnumber us, and he enslaves them, Right? And not 400 years later, a while later, enslaves them for 400 years. That's when Moses comes along, says, let my people go, right? And so there's this story that's happening that God is going to bring someone who will lead a nation, a nation of people who love God. Someone who leads a nation is called a king, Okay. Next slide, Denise. So the Messiah would be a king. The thing is, is that, is that God knows is that a king never provides hope, right? Uh, or rarely, if ever, provides hope. That, that God would need to do more. That this Savior, through the, through the uh, prophet Isaiah, would be someone who would suffer for us that by his stripes we would be healed, that he would be crushed for our iniquities. And so this king who is going to be a Messiah, the Messiah would be a king, but also like a priest. He would be one who forgives. Does that make sense? And then thirdly, it says in, in, uh, in the Old Testament prophet that, that God's name, the Messiah's name would be Emmanuel. Next slide, Denise. That, that Emmanuel, which means, what does it mean? God with us. God with us. So, so the Messiah would be a king, a priest, and somehow the Messiah would be God's presence with us, God speaking to us, God in our midst, which often it was a role that the prophets were described to fulfill. Thus the Messiah would be prophet, priest, and king. So when Matthew starts his good news story of Jesus, the Messiah, people are wondering how is this guy going to be prophet, priest, and king? And Matthew starts this story full of expectation with this gem. Are you ready? Here it is. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Everybody's like, oh, How's the prophet, the priest, and the king going to be born? When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Oh, it's good. This is good. Before they came together, she's... What? She was... What? Read it with me. Uh, When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine a Thanksgiving this year? Hey, Mom, Dad, um, I'm, I'm pregnant. What? You're not married? Oh, it's okay. The Holy Spirit's giving me a baby, and this child is going to be the Messiah. You, are you off your meds again, darling? What's going on? Like, Right? You don't start the story of the coming king with his... Out of wedlock teen pregnancy, that's a hopeless situation, right? You, you don't... It's like, it's like starting the story of, here's the greatest day of my life. Number one, I got in my car driving on the freeway, my wheels fell off. That's not how that story starts. It's like starting to play, and the curtain catches on fire, and the lead forgets their lines, and half the ad- audience is throwing fruit at you. Like, that's not how a good story starts. Anyone in their right mind would never put this in their resume. Does that make sense? You don't put in your resume, uh, conceived out of wedlock, fired multiple times. My whole family's a disaster. It's not how you start your story if you want to impress people with it. Yes? Why does Matthew start the story this way? Well, not only is it true, but Matthew starts the story this way, to give you and I hope. See, every single one of these people and every single one of these situations seem hopeless. And today, as we dig into Joseph's story just a little bit, we're going to see how God enters into hopeless situations, into hopeless hearts, and gives us exactly what we need. So verse 19, read it with me. Are you ready? And her husband Joseph... So put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He falls in love with Mary. They stole glances at each other for months, maybe even years. Quietly hushed and stolen moments under the watchful eyes of their family and friends in a small town... Where there are no secrets, they manage somehow to fall in love and decide to get married. But Joseph, facing a hopeless situation, his beloved fiance is pregnant. How did she get pregnant? Was she unfaithful? Did a Roman soldier rape her? Did someone in the village, did she had, was he just duped and delusional this entire time? Was she really in love with someone else? See, he would have gone to Mary's parents and said, I'd like to marry your daughter, and they would have said, absolutely, and then he would have spent a year building their house. Can you imagine the cost and the time and the energy of building a house for your future spouse only for them once the roof is on and the insulation is done and the windows are in and you've paid for the electrical and the plumbing has been roughed in and you're just on that last coat of paint, and it's just a little bit of trim, and the light switch covers, and they're like, I'm pregnant, and it's not yours. <laughs> he, could, he could stone Mary. He could prosecute her. He could wreck her. He could destroy her reputation, but instead, he says, I, I don't want to cause the one I love harm. Can you feel his heartache? Can you feel his hopelessness? Can you see what a good man he is? Right here in the middle of this hopelessness, God will show up because hope is that with Jesus showing up in your life, even when things are good or things are bad, when Jesus shows up, things will get a little bit better even if it takes a long time. Verse 20. But as... He considered these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph is clearly afraid, but it's interesting. This is one of the only times in the Bible that an angel shows up. And says, do not be afraid of me. You got to understand that when a 25 foot long, tall, angelic being with a massive sword and brilliant armor shows up, you lose control of your bowels. (laughs) You have a panic attack. You freak out. Does that make sense? And every single time in the Bible, when an angel shows up, the angel says what? What? Do not be afraid. Why? Because it's freaky when an angel shows up, right? Just like it's freaky and you get afraid when like something happens that's evil, like you walk into a room and you're like, this, I don't like the feeling in here. This feels off. This feels weird. Strange, crazy stuff happens in your house. I don't know what it, right? You're just like, no, there's something evil here and you kind of get that feeling of fear. Angels are going to blow that out of the water. But what does the angel say to Joseph? Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Like, Joseph's not afraid of the angel. It's one of the only times in Scripture that this happens. Joseph was afraid to marry his beloved you just think about this for a moment. First, why would Joseph be afraid to take Mary as his wife? Well, first, it was shame, right? Everyone knew that Mary was pregnant out of wedlock. And if Mary told the people, no, 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 you don't understand. Um, an angel showed up, and then the Holy Spirit hovered over me, and uh, now I'm pregnant, what would they think? Oh, you're crazy, right? Uh, So either she's a floozy or she's insane. Those are Mary's options. Joseph, if he took Mary as his wife, every time that he tried to get work in his hometown, people would say, well, either you got Mary pregnant or someone else did, but no matter what, you're choosing to live with someone who is either a floozy or insane, or you people are living in sin, and so his economic opportunities would dry up. He he wouldn't get work. He wouldn't be trusted. Joseph was afraid that he would always have this sense that their lives would be stained with this seemingly mistake. If you're struggling right now, in your own life to speak honestly about your deep hurts or your deep failures. Let me assure you, when you talk about them, the hopelessness that you currently feel doesn't increase. It actually decreases. We are a community defined by God saving us, not because we are good, but because God is good. When you reach out and share about what you're afraid might be, you, you're afraid if you actually were to let it out of your mouth that, it, that, that shame would fall on you even worse than it is right now, can I tell you that that's never how it works in this place? Someone asks you how you're doing, you don't have to say fine, right? You know, I've told you this a hundred times, right? Freaked out, insecure, neurotic, emotional, Right? We all know what that means. It's okay to say, I'm struggling right now. It's okay to say that. Mm-hmm. And we will listen and pray, and then we will also do something about it. Back to Joseph. Why else was Joseph might be afraid to take Mary? Well, money, too. Right? Like, it, how, how are you going to make a living? How are you, you going to pay for this baby? Right? No, nothing, nothing was happening according to plan. Right? What if people said, well, Joseph, Mary, you guys are tainted with this sin, so we're not going to have anything to do with you? In a culture defined by honor, that was a huge deal. Have you ever felt like you can never escape your reputation? Have you ever felt like, like it didn't matter how, much how hard you work, that you're never going to get out of that hole? Sometimes we get hopeless about our finances because we have nothing. Like maybe money is so tight this year that this is what your Christmas budget looks like. Do I have that? Do I have do I have a picture there, Denise? No. Dang it. I don't? That's your Christmas budget. <laughs> Dang it. There was a great lady at a picture of a lady at Walmart and she just had everything kind of wedged up in here and it was real tight. And uh, <laughs> Once again, I have something funny for you, and it's not there. I promise, next week will be better. What what am I saying? I'm saying that we believe the lie of scarcity that says I'll never have enough. You ever believe that lie? I get that one all the time. I'm never going to have enough time. I'm never going to have enough energy. I'm never going to have enough money. I'm never going to have enough resources. I'm never going to have enough opportunity. I'm never going to have enough love. I'm never right that's a lie from the pit of hell it's called scarcity it doesn't it's not true hope says that god will provide more resources more love more time more opportunity more understanding more healing more more connection more reconciliation than you could ever dream or hope of when he's in the middle of it what else is joseph worried about well how about being a dad I mean, it's one thing to be pregnant out of wedlock. It's another thing to realize that that freight train only has one conclusion, a baby. <laughs> that makes sense? How would you feel raising a child that's not your own? How would you feel, right, if, if your firstborn wasn't yours? How would you feel if, if you're absolutely terrified of what it looks like? If what Mary says is true, if the Holy Spirit did hover over her because the angel of the Lord did say, this, his name is Jesus, he's gonna save the world, you wanna be his dad? No pressure at the Little League game. How do you raise the Messiah who is the teenager when they are snotty with you? You're like, how do you even do that? Right? Like, what am I signing? You don't even know what you're signing up for. Fear always, always turns hopelessness into a monster. Because fear is like, it's all, it's, it's just, it's all about the future and about, everything is terrible. And then it's like, I got to solve everything right now by myself. The way that you get rid of fear and that hopelessness is by focusing on the faiths of Jesus and his love for you. And Joseph is going to experience this on the day of Jesus' birth. He looks at Jesus and all his fear is going to melt away. All his hopelessness is going to melt away. But he's not there yet. That's nine months, that's nine months from now in his story. He's still afraid, still hopeless in this moment even with the angel of the Lord standing behind in front of him. So the angel Gabriel says this. Let's read together. Verse 21. Here's the evidence of how hopelessness is going to change. Read with me. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God's messenger, the archangel Gabriel, unravels all of Joseph's fear in an instant. First of all, Mary was right. God gave her this child. So hopelessness, when God intervenes, turns into a miracle of God's grace and salvation for everyone in human history. Like only God can do that. Only God can when he steps into your hopelessness can turn it into grace and the means of your own salvation. The worry of not being a dad is transformed into the chance of being so honored in the whole course of human history that you get to parent the Messiah. Talk about hope. That's incredible. The worry of being an outcast or scorned by his family and friends, totally displaced by the honor and joy of being at the centerpiece of all of human history's salvation. Who cares what they think? Do you understand? You will be in heaven one day. You don't need to worry about what they think about you. It don't matter. They're a fart in the wind compared to the eternity of being with Jesus. Does that make sense? Stop letting their opinion of you run your life. Now, will Joseph and Mary have a hard time? You need to emphatically say yes with me. Ready? Will Joseph and Mary have a hard time? Yes. Will people understand their situation? No. Will people believe them? No. Life with God is not the guarantee that you will never have any more difficulties. When you say yes to Jesus and invite Him in your life, it's not just like, you know, rainbows and puppy dog kisses for the rest of your life. You still live in a broken body, on a broken world, in the middle of broken relationships. But Jesus changes all of those at hopeless brokenness with his intervention, and it gets a little bit better all the time with him. God's presence with us turns anything hopeless into a completely different story. I was talking with a buddy this last week uh, who's come to faith just this last summer, And we were talking about the healing happening in both our hearts as we were choosing to forgive and learn about our own worth. And he looked at me and he said, Andy, there's there's no other way than Jesus. This is a 47-year-old man, been all around the world, incredibly intelligent, incredibly talented. He said, there just isn't. I've tried everything else and the only way my heart has ever been healed is because Jesus came close to me, right here with me. And all this time, I thought I had to prove myself to God or others, and then they would come near, and I had it all wrong. There's literally no other way to get healed other than Jesus. He's the only one who comes close to me when I'm destroyed. And I literally looked at him and I said, thank you for writing my sermon this week. Do you understand that? You don't have to get over all of your issues in order to get to Jesus. Jesus stands side by side with you and says, "Let's deal with that today or let's move on and do something else, but he's the one in charge." Then there's a wonderful story in the New York Times uh, of a self-made millionaire, his name is Eugene Lang. This is in 1981. It it's got major press coverage in the early and mid 80s. And Mr. Lang had been asked to speak to a class of 59 sixth graders in inner city Harlem, and he was supposed to inspire them. He's a multimillionaire business guy, and uh, so he 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 had all of his notes there with these 59 sixth graders in the inner city of Harlem. And uh, he looked at all these kids, and he just tossed his notes aside, and he said this to them. Stay in school, he said tenderly, and I'll help pay the college tuition for every one of you. Yes. If you've ever watched the, the show The Office, the horrible boss, Michael Scott, also <laughs> promises to do this. It's based on this story. and Michael Scott shows up on the day of their graduation and, and I think offers them expired coupons, if I, if I remember the... the this or, or maybe he said, well, I intended to do this, but I'm really broke. I don't know. It was horrible. <laughs> but that's not what happens here with Mr. Lang. Uh, Aristides Alvarado wrote this uh, years later. Mr. Lang gave me a sense is a student. Aristides was a student. He said, Mr. Lang gave me a sense of someone being there for you. you. You don't get that at school. When I told him I wasn't sure I could make it to such a prestigious school as Renneslaire, he said, Aristides, you're a dreamer, and dreamers can do anything. And for the first time, I had hope. Out of the 51 students who stayed in Harlem in that school district in those classes, 48 went on to graduate from high school and then go to college. But but it wasn't just that the words or the financial actions of Mr. Lang made a difference. Um, he gave them more than just money. And... When six of them got pregnant in high school, he was there working with their families to figure out a way for childcare to take place so that they could go back to school. And all six of those girls did. They graduated from high school and then they went on to college. Uh, when two of them got in trouble with the law, he called Governor Cuomo, who was the governor at the time in New York, and he said, listen, I have an investment in these young people. I need your help legally so that they're not crushed by the legal system and he literally helped them avoid um, just having the book thrown at them for their minor offenses. And they went on to graduate high school and go to college. See, it wasn't just that Eugene gave his money. It's that he gave himself. And maybe your life like right now is, looks more like Eugene's than it does like Joseph. Maybe you're... You're not in a major crisis right now. Things are actually good. Maybe Thanksgiving was awesome. Maybe the people around your table, they were just, you know what, overall, you couldn't be happier. Things couldn't be going better. Do you realize that you have the same purpose as Eugene Lang? That your love is part of God's plan for giving others hope? That your generosity towards this church and towards your friends and your family, that it actually brings hope? That the encouraging words that you share, that, that call or that text that you make, that that moment when you say, you know, you had, I, I get your pain, I'm being vulnerable, I'm, I, I've, I've been a hot mess too, that that actually brings hope. Do you understand how significant you are in God's plan? Yes. That maybe your life is more like Joseph's right now, Maybe like things are crazy and they feel like everything is falling apart and you can't figure out why and you're screaming out to God, where are you? What do we do then? Let's find out what Joseph does. Read with me. When Joseph woke from the sleep, wait, what did he do? Read it again. One more time real loud. Wow, what, Jesus, help us right now, please. What did Joseph do when he was absolutely hopeless? He prays, God offers him a solution and a way forward that still doesn't make much sense. What did Joseph do? He obeyed. Instead of following all of his fears, instead of following all of his shame and freaking out, Joseph did what God asked him to do. He didn't sleep with Mary until she had, after she had given birth to a son, and he actually called the boy's name Jesus. He grabbed onto hope and made decisions based on God's promises to him rather than his own fears. I want just to, two more minutes of your time. Joseph's decision changed Jesus' life. If you feel like your life is a hot mess right now, I want you to know that that's not... Like, the way that you live your life in the middle of your difficulty will impact future generations of your children and your grandchildren more than you could possibly understand. Like, why did Jesus, why did, why did he just love people so well? Why did he, when he looked at them, he's like, you're not the collection of your mistakes. You're not the collection of what, like, what's been done to you. Where did he learn to do that? It's from his dad. His dad looked at Mary and said, you're not, my love for you is not going to change based on what happened to you. I'm going to choose you anyways. What about when Jesus, it says in Philippians that when the cross was set before him because of the joy, he chose it? You understand what happened with Joseph? Like he had to go to Jerusalem, and then somebody was trying to kill him and his kid. And then he moved his family to Egypt, and then he ended up in Kuyama. Like, you know how painful that is? Like, to be this close from the beach, but you're never gonna go there, and your big day outing is to New Kuyama? That's Nazareth, man. And Joseph chose joy. He chose joy, and Jesus was. Like the thing that, when you read the New Testament, you just see that Jesus is full of joy no matter what. Where did he learn that from? His dad. I know you're going through hard times right now. You can teach your kids to be resentful and bitter and entitled, or you can choose joy. And when Jesus asked his father, would you please take this cup from me? And his heavenly father said, no. Your way forward is through your death and through your sacrifice. Where did he learn to say yes? He learned it from Joseph. Because when Joseph was faced with the choice of the life that you have, that you thought that you were going to have in your hometown, that's dead now, Joseph. I have a new life for you. It's not going to be easy. Will you choose that with me? And Joseph said, not my will be done, but your will be done. You have an opportunity right now to have this kind of faith, to choose this kind of life and the only reason why you're going to chew it is when you hold on to the reality that when Jesus is in it there's hope and it's going to get better it might take a while but it's going to get better remember how I asked you if you would do the work right now Would you do the work right now? Lord Jesus, God, we confess to you that sometimes when things are really hard, we just, we throw a fit like a four-year-old. We get angry, we get sad, we get entitled, we get mad, we get bitter. And we just miss the big story that we're in and we miss you And that's just with things that we want to have happen that don't happen. But the real big wounds, God, the big hits, the big diagnoses, the times when we've just been wrecked by other people. Even then, we can lose sight of you, Jesus. Forgive us. And we now choose to reject the lie of fear that everything's going to be bad unless I figure it out. Do you guys agree? We reject the lie of scarcity. Paul, play something inspirational behind me so that what I'm saying is even more impactful. (laughs) Jesus, we reject the lie of scarcity that we don't have enough or that you're not enough. Jesus, we reject the lie of shame that we have to keep everything secret because if we actually say the truth that no one would understand and Jesus we hold on to you we adore you thank you thank you for showing up in the middle of our hot mess in the middle of our family tree in the middle of our victories and joys we love you Jesus Thank you for the hope that we have. And so, hopelessness, you got no place here. You guys agree? Hopelessness, leave now in the name of Jesus. Not today, devil. (laughs) Amen? Would you stand? Love you guys. We have wonderful food for you. You can join us. I hope to see you this week making gingerbread houses and... Drop your kids off, get some child care. Also, if you don't have any children and you want to drop your spouse off to have some alone time, you can do that as well. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance, that's His delight in you, and give you the peace and the hope that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said? God bless you guys. Have a great day.
0: Pastor Andy Rock is the Senior Pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9am for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Ferrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.